Welcome to All Things New.Tech, where we are exploring the intersection of theology and technology. Technology is changing our jobs, relationships, and even our identities. It's easy to get excited about all the new things. But as Christians, we also believe God is redeeming this world through his effort, making all things new. This podcast features conversations with entrepreneurs, technologists, and innovators, examining how technology transforms our understanding of God, his creation, and what it means to be human. Today, Paul Taylor from All Things New is talking with Nathan Barzi, executive director of a new Christian study center at MIT called the Octet Collaborative. They'll be talking about tech and theology in an academic versus industry setting, Christian tech in the academy, and some lessons technologists can learn from the bioethics conversation. We hope you enjoy this episode. All right. Well, hello. This is Paul Taylor. I'm here with all things new.tech, and I am sitting down virtually today with Nathan Barzi who is the executive director of the Octet Collaborative. It's a new Christian study center at MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He's also an associate pastor at Christ the King Presbyterian Church. He's got a handful of degrees, undergrad at Stanford, PhD in economics from MIT, PhD in theology from University of Nottingham. But his most uh, treasured identifier is that he grew up at Peninsula Bible Church. That's right. In the Bay Area. So Nathan, thanks for being here. It's yeah, a, you're welcome. Thanks for having yeah. me. Nathan and I met recently and we have all these overlaps. We actually were at Stanford at the same time. We uh, have been connected to the same church, but we hadn't met till a few weeks ago. Yep. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's right. Yeah. Somehow we didn't meet each other, even though we were at PBC, we would have been in the same college, you know, yeah. group at the same time, but I just yeah. figured you were cooler than me. And, uh, you well, know, that, I, that, that could go that both ways, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Nathan, I'd love to just start by hearing your story, um, how you arrived, kind of what you're doing. You're doing ministry in a church setting and an yep. academic setting, and that's a really interesting uh, connection. So how, how'd you get from kind of, how'd you get here? Yeah. Well, PBC has a lot to do with that. So, you know, I, I grew up... Um, uh, at at PBC, um, and one of the things that PBC does really well is just instill a love for the Word and for and for careful study uh, of the Word in a way that you know impacts impacts your life. And um, yeah. so early on, I developed a love for the Bible and for theology. And I I did consider going to seminary, but uh-huh. um, I I also um, I think I had some really good advice from pastors at PBC who knew that, yes, I loved the Bible, but I also loved uh, economics. I loved, you know, other other studies. And when I was finishing up Stanford, um, they said, you know, uh, God can use you as an economist. And if you're getting opportunities at the time, I had a, a job lined up at the New York Fed. Um, and they said, if you've got opportunities there, you know, go go see how far God takes you. You know, yeah, let, let him, let him open and close the doors. And, um, and so I, and so I continued to pursue that. I worked at the New York fed for a couple of years before doing grad school. Like you said, did my PhD uh-huh. at MIT, uh, in, in economics. And, uh, I worked for, I think seven years as an economic consultant here in, in Cambridge, um, okay. in, in Harvard square. Um, at the same time, was also serving as a ruling elder, so a lay elder um, sure. at my church, uh, Christ the King uh, Presbyterian Church in, in uh-huh. Cambridge. And it was really 
it was in the process of doing ministry um, that I kind of rediscovered that that yearning, you know, yeah. to be doing that full time. Um, sure. And so it, it's about a 10 year process. I know I got to keep this brief, about a 10 year process of, you know, finding ways to pick up some formal training. Um, yeah. By this time, uh, I was I was married to my wife, Leanne. We had just begun to start a family. And so I couldn't just like quit my job and go go to seminary, go to grad school, um, right. you know, and so it, it took about 10 years, um, before, uh, I was, I was ready. I, I was able to do a part-time master's in theology, um, and then shift over into full-time vocational ministry as a pastor, uh, okay. at, at Christ the King. And, um, it's you know, great. reflecting you stay on at the church you were already serving yes. at. That's, that, yeah, that's absolutely. a real privilege. I think that was, that was actually a big part of discerning a calling. It wasn't like, I didn't feel a real generic abstract, you know, I just need to be doing ministry somewhere. It was pretty specific to that church, to these people. You know, it's a church that draws people from MIT, from Harvard. You know, it's a very academic setting. So people are asking tough questions. Um, You know, it's a church that takes both scripture and skepticism very seriously. Mm. Um, And I, I have felt the whole time, like all of those years that I spent at MIT and as an economist, you know, was not wasted time right. in any sense. It, it was it was absolutely God preparing me for ministry in this particular place. You know, to yeah. these people, both at the church and then with the with the study center uh, that's right. that's just beginning. Yeah. And how did the study center come about? How did you get involved with it? Well, um, when I was in New York, uh, I attended um, Redeemer, um, mm-hmm. which uh, Tim Keller was the senior pastor at the time. And I was really impressed with the way Redeemer sought to love the city, Yeah, you know, so they weren't simply, um, you know, they did a good job of balancing that, that line between idolizing the city on the one hand and just kind of like buying into its narrative and on the other hand, fearing it, right. Just kind of playing defense. Um, they really did a good job of, of, um, understanding the questions that the city asks, um, and so they had great work going on Wall Street and with artists. And so when I got to, to Boston, um, and especially when I became a pastor, right away I just started asking, um, you know, how do we do that here? Our city is an academic city. The university is a, a huge part of, of Boston and Cambridge in particular. Yeah. And so I just started asking, like, how can the church, you know, really engage that world? Uh, and really get into that work with the gospel. Um, and uh, I started looking around and I discovered the Christian Study Center movement. There are mm-hmm. about 30 Christian Study Centers uh, around the country. You know, they, they sort of had their origins in institutions like Labrie sure. and Regent College, um, uh-huh. which Regent is a, a school that has fed PBC a lot. So, you know, yeah. you and I have totally benefited from, from Regent College. Yeah, we love um, Regent. We love going there. Yeah. And um, uh, today there's about 30 of these uh, of these uh, study centers. And I got connected to the leaders of those and started learning, you know, what they had done and how they had kind of worked out this, um, this model of engaging the life of the mind and engaging the university in a way that really complements what the church is doing and what campus ministries do. Um, and, and encourages, um, people at the university to see Christianity, uh, and to see Jesus 
um, as not only not only something to learn about and someone uh, to know, although certainly uh, that's that's primary, but but really encourages the idea that Christianity is a lens through which you see everything else. Right. Right. So so through through the gospel, you know, through the light of Christ, um, you see physics differently. You see geology right. differently. Um, there's a, a richer meaning and significance to all the different things that you're studying. Um, so that's, um, yeah, I, 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 I just saw that as a model that was really fruitful and, and began pursuing that and, uh, you know, led to us launching, uh, this year. That's great. It's really yeah. exciting. Well, I love that. I love that framework because that's, uh, you know, the stuff that we're trying to do at all things new dot tech is really the same thing focused on technology, right? You know, when you put that lens of Christ over your eyes, what looks different when you look at technology and it's not a, it's not an anti-technology, right. You know, bias at all. In fact, right. it's very, we're very pro-technology, but just the idea that when you're looking at it from a Christian perspective, what's different and yep. what things uh, do you want to add more and what things might you want to be careful of adding and stuff like that. How, how have you seen that, um, you know, specific to technology? I know that there's some of the uh, computer science professors that you're involved with at the Octet Collaborative, stuff like that. Have you seen those kinds of overlaps in the beginnings of the work that you've been doing? Yeah. Um, well, a couple of ways. I mean, so you and I, uh, you know, when, when you and I first got to to talk with each other, I remember we uh, we, we agreed that um, so much of the way that Christianity affects the, the way that you see technology, it just comes down to as Christians, we have a framework for what it means to be a human being. Yeah, um, you know that we're that we're made in God's image, um, that we're made uh, to serve Him, that we're made to. Um, fill the earth and to subdue it, to steward it, right. To, to, to right. take care of it. And, and, and I think, you know, when you talk about not being anti-technology, um, I mean, <laughs> technology at its core, uh, really is just, a, it's a, it's, it's a powerful means. It's, it's human ingenuity and creativity and like expanding the set of ways that we can do what God has called us to do right. um, exactly. in, in stewarding the earth. Right. Um, yeah. you know, and so, but on the other hand, what technology tempts us uh, to believe is that it can enable us to go beyond stewarding the earth. It can go beyond, we can go beyond what God has called us to do. And we can actually, um, while it's worse, we can, we can leave behind the, the, the limitations of being finite creatures. We can, we can transcend, That's you right. know, all of, all of the inconveniences of being locked in time and space, right? We can do anything. We can be like God, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. That's the, You're that's, talking my language. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, are... that's, that's the temptation. So, right. so just yesterday I was talking to an MIT alum, right? So to answer your question of like, how have I seen this with Octet just yesterday? And she was saying, you know, um, MIT, MIT teaches you to believe that you can do anything, you know, yeah. that you can, that you can change the world that you can. Um, and it's very good at that. And it really does equip people to do amazing things. Um, but it teaches you that that is ultimately up to you, that ultimately that's all down to your work and your effort and what you bring. And, and so it leads you to believe that you have to work incessantly Right. Um, you have to, you know, work to the last, um, 
in order to achieve, you know, your, 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 your full potential. And so what it does not teach you, it teaches you nothing about rest. Mm. Um, and it teaches you nothing about, you know, as, as, as Christians, you know, we, we believe that God, you know, has given us, um, Sabbath rest, right. And whether you believe that that's literally one day out of seven or whether it's a, you know, more of a, an, an ongoing thing that we enjoy in, in Christ. I know Christians, you know, can, can disagree about that, but what we, what we agree about, um, is that Sabbath rest is a matter of God calling us to enjoy the world that he's created, uh, rather than think that we have to create one for ourselves. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and MIT totally tells you, you can create the world for yourself. You can, you can make a whole new, a whole new world. Um, and uh, as as Christians, you know, we're called to enjoy what God has done and what He has given us, and to and to steward that. Um, yeah, one of the phrases yeah. we use sometimes at All Things New is the the idea that God created us with a constrained potential. Yeah, and so there's this balance yeah. where um, actually you can't do anything. Like you know, I mean, you probably know this as a parent too. I mean, we you know you like my wife and I talk about this. We, we can't actually tell our kids they can do anything. Like, right. Right. Like there are some physical limitations. You're never going to be an NFL football player. Like that's yes. like, you can work really hard, but that's just not, you're not going to get there. Like, right. And to tell them that they can do anything actually does them a disservice. Um, you know, you, you certainly want to tell them they can do lots of things, mm-hmm. uh, but not everything. And, and part of the job of calling is to figure out what can we do and what are we created to do? Not, yeah. And not to pursue those things that, that we think we should be able to do, but we can't. And, and technology is definitely, um, you know, driven by people who frequently think you can do anything with it. Right. Um, so how, how to find that way to kind of build the idea of constraint into, into, into the building of technology is, I don't know, that's a, that's a tricky balance. But yeah. rest is a big part of that. Yeah, it, it, it really is. Um, uh, and in fact, rest is actually, um, it's so, it's so central to the mission of the Octet Collaborative, um, that that's actually, um, that's actually where our name comes from. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, so Octet, um, <laughs> it means a couple of things. I mean, it, it obviously has something to do with the number eight, right? Sure. Yeah, like that's... you think of like an Octet is a, a group of eight musicians, um, uh-huh. at, at MIT, it also happens to be um, it's a it's a stable grouping of electrons <laughs> in, okay. a, in an in an atom, and it's a it's a it's an eight bit unit of digital information. So ah, you nice. know it, it attracts the uh, the techie, uh, sure, the techie yeah. crowd that we're here with. But but the real reason that we're called the Octet Collaborative is because um, when Christians, early Christians, first um, began to um, talk about the Lord's day, you know, and, and instead of, instead of having the Sabbath come at the end of the week, they began to talk about the Lord's day on, on the first day of the week. They also talked about it being the eighth day of the week. And this is actually an old concept in, in the old, in the old Testament, you'll see the, the eighth day often being a day of new beginnings. So that the eighth day is the day that boys were circumcised, right? Oh, right. And the priests had a seven day period of consecration before they got to work on the eighth day. Um, and so early Christians looked at the last week of Jesus's life and said, you know, this is, this is retelling the creation story. I mean, look, yeah. he's, 
He's at work for a week. On the sixth day, he says, my work is finished. And then he rests on the seventh day. Huh. And then they said on the eighth day, he rises, you know, to new life. And it really is a whole new world. Like this is, yeah. this is what God can do that we can't. Like he really has brought new life uh, right out of death. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's where Octet comes from. Um, that's great. I love that. Yeah. It's a powerful picture. Yeah. Um, a lot of the work you've done in the past has to do with bioethics. And right. you told me a story when we first chatted about bioethics. And that's a great, it seems to me that's a good model for a lot of the thinking about technology because bioethics has probably been around a little bit longer. And it's more obvious with bioethics that you get to that core issue of what does it mean to be human? Uh, right. Whereas technology, it's not always as obvious. I, I think it, it's not too you know, hard to figure out, but um, certainly with bioethics, you get there pretty quickly. And you, you, you told me a story about a conference where you actually got to present this kind of Christian view of humanity. Can you, can you tell yeah. us about that? Yeah. So, yeah. So let me, so let me back up how we, yeah. how we got there. So, um, right. So I didn't, I didn't go looking for this. I mean, this is, this is something that God, this is an opportunity that God just provided. Um, and maybe it's an only in Cambridge kind of a story, but, right. um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure this could happen in Silicon Valley just, just as easily. Um, um, there is a group, um, based at Harvard medical school. Um, it's called PG ed. It's the personal genetics education project. Hmm. And what it is, um, there are uh, geneticists working at Harvard Medical School who are on the very forefront of gene editing technology. Um, so you might be familiar, your listeners might be familiar with something called CRISPR, yep. um, which is a extremely powerful um, method uh, for, you know, finding and replacing, you know, almost like a word processor. Right. Um, yeah. Snippets of a, of a, of a gene um, to, uh, to, to make edits that's raised all kinds of amazing possibilities and also fears, yeah. you know, of course, including among scientists. Well, this group is concerned that the ethical conversations about what should be done with that kind of technology typically are only being held among scientists because they're the only ones who are really aware of where the science is. Right. So they have taken it upon themselves to try to reach out to other parts of the community. That's um, amazing. Including schools, um, and including, um, communities of faith. Um, right. so they've reached out to churches, also mosques, synagogues, you know, they, they really want to talk to everybody. So, so they actually contacted us, um, uh, this, uh, this, this woman named, uh, named Ting Wu, um, who she's got her own lab. There's a Wu lab, um, mm -hmm. at Harvard medical school. Um, she called and said, this is, this is who I am. This is what we do. I'd love to come and talk to your church. Um, about gene editing. And I said, that wow. sounds really fascinating. I would love that. So we struck up a, a relationship where she has come and taught classes a few times um, at our church. And, and she, by the way, is not a person who claims any faith of her own. She's wonderfully engaging and very intellectually curious. So she's a wonderful conversation partner. Sure. Um, but she's not coming from any kind of faith background. Right. But um, she's taught some classes at our church and, and then, like you said, after we had talked for a while, um, she said to me, she said, um, uh, I'm putting on an industry forum. It's going to be a conference with um, geneticists, 
biotech executives, some other educators. And she said, you know, I've heard you and people from your church refer a few times to the fact that humanity is made in the image of God. And that that, you know, is what sets humanity apart. Yeah. Um, and she said, I, I've heard that phrase before, but I've never really thought about what the implications would be for my work. So she invited me uh, and a colleague uh, to come and give a presentation um, on that. She said, I'd like you to sit on, on a, a panel and you get 15 minutes and we'd like you to tell us what does it mean that humanity is made in the image of God? That's just such an amazing invitation. Right. Because, because I mean, my colleague, we were on the phone and we literally, you know, we put her on mute for a second and said, <laughs> said did, did she did she just invite us to come and tell a bunch of scientists and biotech executives about Jesus? Right. And, yeah. And, oh and said, yes, I think she did. So we took her off mute. Yep. We'll be there. Cause yeah. you know, you just figure if you say no to that, um, right. what are you doing? You got a hand in your ministry credentials that day. Yeah. Right? That's right. Um, so we went and it was, it was really wonderful. My colleague was the one who actually made the presentation. Um, he did a really good job of framing the whole thing because he said, listen, we, we know we're not all Christians here. So we know that not everyone in this room takes the Bible as being authoritative in any way, but we think that we all share a common commitment to protecting human dignity. Mm -hmm. And we're all aware that genetic engineering, um, genetic technology in general in the past um, has, 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 has been used in ways that really do, violence to human yeah. dignity. And we all want to guard against that. So what we'd like you to consider is that the concept that humanity is made of the image of God um, provides really robust guardrails hmm. um, against that. And by the way, as the presentation went on, it also is extremely encouraging for scientists because of the aspect of the image of God, which is our vocation, hmm. right? which is our calling to right. steward the earth. Yep. And, and, and I think as Christians, we can say we absolutely believe that science and technology are among the most powerful gifts that God has given us, you know, with which to carry out that vocation. Right. But it also helps us to think through when we're crossing a line yeah. um, from, uh, from, from bringing order out of chaos, like we should, to potentially dehumanizing. That's right. Um, yeah. So, you know, and it was, it was a really productive conversation. There was, there was pushback, you know, people said, yeah, we, we do not share the same theology. Um, so we, we can push back against that. But, um, but I think they knew exactly what they were pushing back, back against. Yeah. And, and I, I'll just say one other thing. The other really amazing thing about that day was the way that people after the talk, um, you know, including a lot of non-Christians opened up to us personally. Right. You know, they, they, they really, um, you know, for, for many of them, the work they were doing, you know, was really personally significant to them. I mean, it was people who knew loved ones who, uh, had suffered, um, from genetic maladies, um, mm. you know, and so their, their work is all about preserving and promoting human, human dignity. Um, right. And, uh, um, and overcoming suffering. Um, and so we just had some really wonderful, just personal conversations. That's amazing. How that opens, yeah. how, how it unlocks that, you know, you go to that little bit deeper place and it unlocks 
those yeah. kinds of conversations. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, I mean, that's, it's a great model. Cause that's kind of in the back of my mind has always been my hope for some of the work we've been doing is that, you know, when we've, when you talk about tech ethics, um, there's just very little, uh, really, um, you know, you don't get a whole lot of discussion about what that looks like from a Christian perspective. And so it's not usually the Christians that are being asked for what the tech ethics are. Um, so yeah, that idea of, you know, presenting to industry a vision of what humanity looks like is what's been in the back of my mind for a long time as one of the things we could accomplish is at least having a seat at the table of, you know, this is what Christians think of humanity and how technology might relate to that. And it's not that people have to right. be convinced of that. And I, I like the idea that there's pushback, but then then you're in a conversation. And, exactly. uh, you yeah. know, you and I have observed when people are interested in tech ethics, and you've said the same thing about you, what you've observed at MIT, they usually don't call up churches and pastors. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so right now, um, MIT is, um, they have task forces set up uh, to ask questions about um, artificial intelligence and the future of the labor market, about yeah. the nature of consciousness. They've got one about gene editing. They've got one on the ethical use of um, data science, machine learning, right? Big data. Um, yep. and, and, and every one of these is tasked, you know, with thinking about the ethics of these things. But when you look at these task forces, um, there's very few people of faith. There's very few, there's no theologians. Um, you know, MIT right. doesn't have a, div, a, a divinity school. Um, you know, and so there's, there's just a, there's a big voice, um, that's, yep. that's missing. Um, yeah. and that's actually, that's seeing that, seeing that MIT was asking those questions, is, is one of the things that really encouraged us to launch the Octet Collaborative at MIT this year. Um, mm. You know, we, we feel like this is a way that we can come in um, and really try to support MIT in what it's already doing. Like really try and we, we really think that having a Christian voice at that table is going to make MIT better at its own right. mission, right? right? Make MIT better at what it does and what it's supposed to do. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's one of the things to, you need to create some legitimacy to, you know, to be yeah. at that table. And so you kind of have to go, right. you, you have to be a legitimate, hey, we are intellectuals here. We are thinking things through. We're not just, yes. you know, stupid Christians. We're actually yes. operating on an actual level. And, and I love that. That's that's really encouraging. Yep. Yeah. Well, we were we were really encouraged to find, you know, that there there actually are pretty strong um pockets of Christian community at MIT, you know, there, uh -huh. there's like, there's like 30 or 40, um, Christian faculty, uh, oh, wow. that get, get together to pray with each other regularly. Um, now we've observed that the students are not aware of all of them. Uh -huh. Um, and so some of the relationships that could be built, you know, between students and faculty, uh, not to mention the staff, there's a ton of Christian staff, uh, sure. MIT, everything from academic research staff to administrators. And, you know, um, we feel like some of those connections can be, uh, can be made and that contributes to what, um, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, there was a sociologist named Peter Berger who, who yeah. worked at BU and he talked about this thing called plausibility structures. 
Mm, right? right. And plausibility structures were kind of, um, you know, well, the, the idea would be that, you know, if you're a, if you're a freshman showing up at MIT, uh, and you're coming from a Christian background, but you look around and you don't see any other Christians and you never hear Jesus mentioned and, and you're expected to pour your entire life into these studies. Um, after a while, you know, you start asking yourself, well, what, what's, what's the point? Like what relevance right. does my faith have, you know, to my, to my life? Whereas if you show up and right away, you, you're aware, you know, that among these faculty, you know, are a, a number of, uh, of, of believers, you know, as well as students, as well as staff that provides a plausibility structure, you know, it right. says, okay, Christianity does have a place here. Um, and there's a, you know, there's, there's, there's a way to bring those parts of my life together. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, what, what, what you're talking about within the academy is what I'd love to see within the tech industry. Yeah. I mean, same thing. You start a job out of college, you start a job at Google and you're working and there's no indication that your faith has anything to do with the work you're doing Right. because nobody talks about it. It's not, there's no obvious overlap, but to, to create those, you know, there's plenty of Christians in the tech industry. It's there's, they're everywhere, but but the connections aren't always being drawn. Um, so that's really, that's, that's encouraging. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm interested from your perspective, one of the unique places you hold is you operate kind of in the academic setting, but also the church setting. Yep. Um, and we are at all things new. We're really, we're really um, more focused on the industry setting for technology, though, obviously there's overlap for everything, but I'm right. I'm curious what you see, like in terms of people in the academy, what they're, how they're resourced for these kinds of conversations versus people in the church, how they're resourced and whether, you know, they miss, if you get them in the same room, is that be something like kind of, what do you see in those two settings that, um, in terms of the overlap and, and what they can offer each other? Yeah. Well, this is, I mean, this is one of the things that I believe most strongly is that, uh, the church and the academy really need each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I mean, you go back to that, the interaction that I had with geneticists. Um, right. I do not think, and the geneticists would largely agree. I don't think that science in and of itself gives any kind of framework to answer the question, how should we use this technology? Because mm-hmm. it comes down to what does it mean to be a human being? Like what's, right. what is a human for? Um, uh, and, and that's, that's just not a question that science answers. On the other hand, I, I may have come into that with that framework, but I don't know the first thing about genetics, right? You know, I, you know, biology was my least favorite subject in, in, high, in high school and that's as far as I went. Right. Mine um, too, actually. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I just didn't get far enough to the, to get to the fun stuff, but it just seems so messy, you know, you know like yeah, right, right. math and science, you just got to draw a box yeah. around the answer so much, so much cleaner. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so, so I felt like that, that was, that was a good example of where like, here's this big question that society has to answer. What should we do with CRISPR? Right. Yeah. And I don't think that we can answer that question if you don't get geneticists and theologians in the same room. Right. So I think the same thing is true. Um, for like all of these other questions, you know, right. machine so learning, machine AI, learning, artificial intelligence. Right. So one of the, one of the professors on our faculty advisory board is a woman named, uh, Rosa Picard. Uh, yep. she works in the field of AI. She actually founded 
um, a field called affective computing. So affect, yeah. affective with an A. Um, it's all about getting computers to interact with with human emotion. Right. And she said, you know, the work I'm doing, uh, the people in our lab, we, we know that there are ethical questions um, about what we're doing. And we don't think that our training equips us to answer those those questions. And so we really do need um, uh, people who have an ethical framework um, right. and, and more, I mean, and she would say explicitly a theological framework, an anthropological framework, right. Um, to come in and to help us uh, with those, with those kinds of questions. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's one of the things that I'm most looking forward to is to yeah. bring, you know, it, it, it goes both way, right? Like it means that as I'm working with um, students or whomever at, at MIT, um, any question they have, I can find a world-class expert, you know, to come in and help them with the details of whatever field it is. Right. And, that's and, at, the, and, and at the same time, I can bring in my training. You know, I've got, I've got other uh, friends in the area that have theological training. I can bring those voices in. Um, and we can mutually enrich each other. Um, yeah. So, and I mean, that's, that's part of what I mean when I, I say, I, th I think we can help the Academy to be even better at yep. its, at its mission. That's a great um, vision. I mean, that's, yeah. I'm excited to continue to follow it and see how it, how it develops. Yeah. Um, well, as we wrap up, I always like to ask my guests two questions at the end, um, kind of counterparts. The first is, as you think about technology and kind of the world we live in, what, what fears do you have? Um, you know, what's the, yeah. what's the worst case scenario you might imagine? What scares you about where technology is going? Oh gosh. Um, I mean, I just think that, like I said, I think that, that the temptation of technology is, is always um, to make us believe that we can escape all of our constraints. Right. I mean, I think that phrase yeah. you used, you know, constrained potential, that's, um, that's perfect. Um, you know, we, um, and so I just think that, um, the big fear is that, and, and I, I see this happening with these, with these bioethical, um, questions, um, that, you know, in some ways, you know, CRISPR is a new technology, but the temptation to control, you know, our own biology or our children's biology, um, right. you know, it's not new. Past, yeah, those are not new. Yeah. Um, um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's as old as, I mean, Genesis 11, Genesis yeah. 4. I mean, how right. far back, you know, can yep, we go to find, sure. right. To go to, to find people using technology to try to like escape the, the limitations of being a human being. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So my fear is that technology and, and, and I'm really convinced, um, that the the best gifts that God has given us um, are the things that make the worst um, idols mm. that tempt us away from him because they're so good, because they're so rich. And I think technology is one of these. Like it yeah. really can lead us on for a long, long time, individually or as a society. Um, and I think we could just go, you know, a long, a long way down the road um, of um, forgetting the gifts of, of, of being a finite human being created to worship him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well said. Yeah. yeah. Well, the corresponding question then is uh, what makes you excited? I mean, what's, 
what's good about where technology is going? What hopes do you have? Yeah. Um, so I guess it's the, it's, it's the converse is that it, technology really is a, a great and wonderful gift that God has yeah. given us and his gifts are all meant to point us to him. Um, and so, you know, I think about, um, I mean, so on this one, I'll be a little bit more, um, a little bit more specific. Uh, I, I have been thinking a lot in the last five years about, about CRISPR. Yeah. Um, and I don't know the answer to the question of, um, you know, how exactly should it be used? Um, people sometimes try to say like maybe only for therapy, but not for enhancement. And I've kind of given up on trying to draw the line right. between those things. Yeah, sure. Um, but I really do believe that, um, you know, CRISPR is a tool that can enable humanity to bring order out of, out of chaos. And so there are some mm. clear places where, you know, um, Huntington's disease, sickle cell disease, um, you know, some of these, some of these things that people have just suffered with, uh, for, for yeah. so long. Um, you know, we really can alleviate some of that suffering that I believe God is, is he, he wants us, uh, to, to confront that. Yep. Um, he wants that. He wants us to see that as a chaos. That's not supposed to be there. It's not, it's not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, you know, and we do have a part, uh, to play in, um, in, in, in overcoming that. Um, yeah, the trick is, the trick is always to, you know, see it as a, a tool to steward his creation for his purposes and to be asking, what are those purposes? Yeah. Um, and not to run ahead and only think about our own. Well, that's great. That's a really encouraging answer. Cause I think, you know, CRISPR has made a lot of news and we've, there's an article on it on our blog and, yeah. um, and it, you know, I think there's, people more typically respond to fear with fear to it. And so the idea that, Hey, this is a tool God's given us and it can do some really great things. That's, yeah, that's a great perspective. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, thanks, Nathan. Uh, It's been really great uh, chatting with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for listening to all things new.tech. We hope you continue the conversation by subscribing to our blog at allthingsnew.tech. We have a variety of authors working together to develop a biblical framework for engaging with technology. Check it out. Join the conversation.